0: Mindvine, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The Mindvine podcast is produced by Ontario Shore's Center for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify,
1: and Apple Podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Mindvine podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Mathers, and today, we have a special edition of the MindBind podcast where we're acknowledging, recognizing and talking about the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, we also have some Orange Shirt Week activities on Ontario Shores specifically we're going to talk about. But moreover, we're going to have a conversation um, about what's going on in our community, uh, what we need to do um, to support Indigenous communities, Indigenous culture here at Ontario Shores, but also, um, in our larger community in Durham Region and to have this conversation I have two very special guests from Ontario Shores with various different perspectives and roles um, and I think it's all going to blend well together in this conversation we're about to have. So I'm going to start with Michelle Michener-Roussel who is a social worker at our Ontario Structured Psychotherapy Program. Welcome Michelle.
0: Thanks for having me there
2: And we have Sean Moore who's our diversity, equity, inclusion lead here at Ontario Shores and Shauna, welcome. And uh, you're going to start the podcast off with our land acknowledgement.
1: Thank you, Darryl. So I'd first like to acknowledge that Ontario Shores sits on the lands of the people of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island, First Nation, which is covered under the Williams treaties. We are situated on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas, a branch of the greater Anishinaabe nation, which includes, Algonquin, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi peoples. And for me today, as I read this land acknowledgement, I'm reminded of all the unlearning and relearning that I need to do about indigenous histories that I have learned.
2: Thank you, Shauna. I'm going to start the conversation with just a, a bit of background. Um, Michelle, um, you identify as an Indigenous woman. I know you have been involved in, in Indigenous activities around the hospital for uh, on a number of occasions over the years. Um, and thank you very much for just lending your perspective. I think it's really uh, courageous um, of somebody who, in the Ontario Shores community to put yourself out here like you are, and and I really appreciate uh, you bringing your experience and your expertise. And I want to start with you, and then I'll ask Shauna the same question. When I say the the, this is the second, uh, I'm gonna make sure I get it right, but the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation um, that's being recognized federally. So when I say that, um, what does that event, what does that title, what do those words mean to you?
0: I think Daryl, what those words mean to me, <clears throat> there's, there's, in some ways it seems like a simple question, but I think it's a really complex question. Um, for me, there's many layers. Um, I I see myself as walking two worlds. Yes, I identify as indigenous. Um, My people are the Haudenosaunee people, or in English, the Iroquois nation. Um, But I also am part white, so I see that I have this unique perspective. So for me, what this actually means is um, stepping forward and really seeing the truth for what it is, the dark history of our country. And I think that it's about time we started talking about the history of our country. Um, it's, not, it's taking the words of what it means to ch- be tr- truthful and, and have reconciliation. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's starting to take um, our words and putting them into action. Um, for a woman who identifies as indigenous, but is completely disconnected from my culture because of the legacies of residential schools, because of the 60s scoop. Um, It's very poignant for me because I'm not connected to my culture. I am in the sense that I read about my people, I read about my history, but I don't have a disconnection to my immediate family. So for me, truth and reconciliation is a path to start re-embracing um, who we are as, as Indigenous people, but more than that, who we are as, as Canadians. Um, it's been said many times that reconciliation isn't just about Indigenous people, it's about all of us. It's about all of us Canadians. We are all treaty people in this country. So for me, it means kind of reclaiming, in a way, reclaiming who I am. It also means that we, how do I put this, we start moving in a way where we're more inclusive with each other. So when I say that, what I mean is, I have colleagues, and I've heard this many times, family, friends, colleagues, where they're not sure how to have this conversation because they're not Indigenous. And so to that, I encourage them that At the end of the day, we're all in this together. And if we come from spirit first, if we come from respect and courage first, and we simply have this conversation in a good way, we teach and walk with each other down the path of reconciliation. Um, It means honoring, I think, uh, maybe even more so. It means honoring residential school survivors. It means giving voice to the experience of residential school. It means not just the survivors, but honoring the families, honoring the ones, the little ones who didn't make it home, the thousands of children that have been found in unmarked graves now across this entire country. So history is... A difficult topic. It can be dark. It can be hurtful. But it needs to happen if we are going to heal as a nation and move forward as is a nation in a good way. Lots of layers there. I got more layers, but I feel like I'm. I don't want to uh, take up too much space. So, maybe.
2: But I think that's, and I'll let Shawna answer the question as well. But I think what you say there is very true in terms of being complex. You know, we all have different perspectives we all have a different connection to our culture and our heritage and the comfort level to have these conversations just isn't there. It might be might be, might be further along than we were two and a half years ago, but um, we're, it feels like we're really in the beginning stages. So I would imagine it's difficult no matter what your experience, uh, whether um, you're from an indigenous community or not to articulate what this means, because I don't know that the leadership that created the day of national truth and reconciliation actually has a clear definition of what it should mean, right? So maybe Shauna, just, you know, to um, piggyback off what uh, Michelle said in, in terms of what that day initially means to you, what, what's your perspective?
1: So for me, um, it means that I need to take action. So I think about when, we, when I find out the truth, there's an action that's needed on my part. And we can't take action until we know the full truth. And we're still at a stage where we're finding out the truth. And uh, to pick up on what Michelle has said, we need to really listen to what survivors have said. Children of the survivors have said what that lived, how that has shaped their lived experience. Um, really looking at our history and unlearning because I think about some of the teaching that I received as somebody who wasn't even born on these lands, um, how I'm taking the step to unlearn and that's shaping my path. It's helping me take a different direction. So it's taking those little steps of learning, of listening. And to me, that's what this day means to me is to recognize that I, I don't know, but not talking about it is not going to help. So talking about it, having those uncomfortable conversations, finding out the truth, being uncomfortable with the truth, and then being moved to meaningful action.
2: As I mentioned just earlier about the last two and a half years, how things have kind of changed. The needle has moved. A lot of it has to do not just with indigenous culture, but just with the world kind of opening its eyes to maybe some of the Tragedies that have occurred, whether they're present or centuries ago. You know, for you specifically, Michelle. You know, having uh, identifying as an indigenous, indigenous woman, appreciating that culture, and then seeing kind of the world shift with the news of the Unmarked Graves, and see people. You know, all of a sudden, orange shirts are in high demand, and and people are, I guess, opening their eyes to maybe some of the truths that have happened. What's that experience been like for you? Um, just seeing how uh, the media has has addressed it and how the people around you, whether they're friends, neighbors, whomever, how they have kind of uh, started this journey, whether it's uh, where we need to be or not, but have kind of come to some realization that uh, change is necessary.
0: I think in the beginning, um, and even beginning to now, I sometimes even still feel of a bit of conflict within myself. As I mentioned a moment ago, I, I, I see myself as walking two paths in a way. Um, my first thought is that I really hope that people wear orange shirts because they're wearing them because they understand the history and the context. And the honor that it, that, what the shirt means. So to wear the shirt means that we are honoring um, the legacy and the history of our country and honoring all of it, the good, the bad and the really ugly.
2: So actually, one of the things, you know, maybe you can answer this, Shauna, is I think is a barrier to not just understanding indigenous issues and history, um, but also uh, when it comes to all visible minorities and um, uh, LGBTQ plus communities is we have people in our society, we all know them, who don't get it, right? They'll say, I d- didn't do th- did those things. I n- didn't uh, uh, do anything to harm any community. Um, and why can't people just get over it? That is a that is something you'll hear in, in a pub down the street or in a backyard barbecue, people not understanding why this is a big deal. And I'm not just talking about this Indigenous issue, but just in issues that affect... Um, marginalized communities across the country. Like why do we as a whole need to pay attention to this and and put some work in to understand this a bit better? And maybe start with you, Shauna.
1: Well, I think it's important because we need to recognize that people didn't all start from the same place because of things that have happened in history. People have been marginalized. So we don't always, we don't all start from the same place. And if I'm starting at a different place from someone else, It impacts the way I engage, it impacts the way I look at myself, the way I look at myself in relation to other people. And so I need to understand that um, in order to really understand those around me. So people are coming from different places. They've started at different places. And you talked about how sometimes there's reluctance and there's a barrier to people having these conversations sometimes these conversations happen and people feel a little shamed into you know I feel like I'm being attacked or so I don't want to deal with it and the point of these conversations is not to shame people I I believe that people need to understand things like histories and how power and having privilege has put people in unique spaces and given power to some and marginalize some. But it's not about shaming people. It's about understanding that so that we can work towards better outcomes for everyone. So we need to have the conversation. And it's not about shaming. It's about helping people to understand why we are where we are.
2: So how do we do that? Right? You met. you touched on the fact that it can be uncomfortable, right? And I think that is what we do as, as people sometimes, not everybody, but sometimes when things make us uncomfortable, we avoid them, right? We might not engage in those conversations. And maybe now, um, when I think about what's happening in, in indigenous communities, but also in the black community, since George Floyd's tragedy, and there's been a push like, okay, I, I need to get past this uncomfortableness that I have inside me. And I need to work through it. I think there is a large segment of the population that do feel like they, they want to break through and, and learn more and understand. Might not have the tools, might not know how. Um, if we were to have like a starter kit for uncomfortable conversations about, you know, historically tragic events or uh, misrepresentations in history, like how would you recommend that we have those conversations?
1: I think we just need to start And it's messy and there's not a formula and it's about starting but it's also uh, those of us who might be in a place of influence or leadership or having the opportunity to do it is creating a safe space where people can come as they are and not be afraid to use the wrong terminology or to f- not feel that they have to be an expert and create that safe space for them to learn terminology, learn a little and to understand those pieces. So it's about creating really spaces for people to talk where they feel safe and where they feel like they can ask uncomfortable questions and, and have them answered or, or to be given resources or to be put on the right path. So it's about creating spaces wherever we can to have those conversations.
2: In terms of organizations, um, you know, Ontario Shores here, I think has acknowledged that uh, it can do more. And I think actually what you've seen, just looking at um, places like Indeed and LinkedIn over the last two and a half years, Um, Positions like yours have been uh, created all over the place um, by organizations who have, I think by nature of creating those positions, have acknowledged that they need to do more, that they're not doing enough. And I think for some of them, they've tried. um, And I think, you know, I would say on Ontario Shores, we've tried um, and not necessarily made all the right moves (laughs) and acknowledge now that more needs to be done. Um, For organizations and like for both of you, like what, would it, what does it mean to employees when an organization recognizes something, whether it's in their culture or something to do with uh, how they identify, that they're trying to relate, educate, all those things that we, we talk about? Like, How important do you feel it is for organizations to be speaking to, uh, to their people, not just their staff, but their stakeholders, whomever?
0: I think I'd like to start that with going back a bit in history. So I'd, I'd like to kind of start by saying, um, if Germany didn't work at reconciliation after World War II, where would they be today? So I think that's a great example of reconciliation truly in action. So at the end of, as we all, most hopefully most Canadians know, uh, at the end of World War II, um, Germany was arguably probably considered, what, maybe the worst Country in history, um, but the leaders that stepped into that space after the atrocities of World War II made the decision that they needed to reconcile with the world um, and, and make amends and take responsibility um, as a nation. Now there were many people, and this might tie into something that Shauna said a moment ago: is there were they did a they did a, a poll, they surveyed the people in Germany. And there were a significant number of people who still believed in the concepts of racism anti-seminism and there were people that didn't feel that it was their issue the third reich did it's not our it's not our problem we don't need to to work on it but there was a significant handful that said no this is our nation and we need to be responsible for this and so if we kind of think about an organization organization on a grand scale that's an incredible example about a nation that picked itself up from the ashes of World War II to build themselves up to one of the most, um, arguably, um, the most respected countries in the world. And a big part of that was simply acknowledging and walking and working through the truth, the ugly truth of that country's experience. And I think, you know, we don't re- need to reinvent the wheel here. Reconciliation has been done by this country, and there are other examples in the world, but that's maybe the, maybe a, a, a really strong template for how even small organizations such as this, I know we're not a country, but um, we can see by that, that, that example about how leadership, when they step up... Um, and just allow space for truthful conversation to happen, how that can truly change the world. I think there's always, you know, maybe going to be people that might say, well, this isn't my issue. I didn't do this. This is not my responsibility. And to those people, I might say, well, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, maybe, may, maybe you need to check what that's about. Because having these difficult conversations is really about being uncomfortable. Um, to be honest with you, part of me is feeling uncomfortable having this conversation today. But if we are not, if, if we can't, maybe not the word can't, but we need to try to find our courage to have these conversations because that's how change happens. And as an organization, um, our leadership needs to step into that space and allow, um, that space to happen so we have these difficult conversations. It's ugly, it's messy, it's painful, it's hurtful. But if all we're feeling is warm fuzziness, then what we're simply doing is, is feeding into the propaganda that the world is wonderful and, and these bad things didn't happen. Um, I can see where some people might be uncomfortable saying, again, uh, you know, this isn't my experience, so why should I be responsible for it? To that, I come back to some of my Indigenous teachings, which are... We are spirit beings on a human journey. And as spirit beings, the great creator tells me that we are all brothers and sisters in this vast, beautiful web of life. And it is my responsibility as another spirit being to to help take care of my brothers and sisters on this planet. So as a leadership, maybe a way to shift this thinking is to step away from the concept of colonization and patriarchy um, these notions where it's it's the leaders that have to create this but if you look at indigenous teachings we don't sit in hierarchy situations we sit in circles and we sit in circles um, because that reminds us that no one person is greater or less than another. you know, when, for example, going back to Germany, um, they pulled their people, they, they brought their people into the shift and the change and the reconciliation. And that might be a place where our leadership starts, creating a platform where we are all one, as opposed to this more um, top-down concept and to work at decolonization. Decolonization starts first up here. I have to understand my own, as Shauna put very wonderfully in the beginning, um, understand what I know, what I've learned, and then challenge myself to say, is that accurate, is that healthy, is that helpful? And if it's not, how do I unlearn what I've been conditioned to learn so that I can learn something new? That helps my fellow brothers and sisters.
2: You just mentioned that hierarchy piece and how you know that is not going to get us where we need to go. Yeah. And, I, and this is just my observation, and I'm just curious how you both feel. It does feel like this time around, the pressure is not coming from the top. Um, while we do have leaders making decisions, whether they're here, or any other organization, or in government, around uh, these issues. It also feels like it's a more of a groundswell of um, public opinion and a, a movement of change that's coming from, uh, from everyone uh, versus it being uh, from a hierarchy. I'm not sure. I'm just curious what your perspective on that would be. Does it feel different this time around because more people, like more of our neighbors and friends and care?
1: I think we're at a point in history where we can't ignore it. For a long time, we didn't know the truth or the truth was hidden from us. And when I think about when we started to discover the unmarked graves, people who their lived experience was part of be- being um, survivors of residential schools, they knew that their children weren't coming home. They, they knew that lives were being lost, but it was just known to them. Now it's known to everyone. So yes, we can't ignore it. It's not just the knowledge of some people saying, "Hey, we've been, you know, we've been marginalized or we've been victimized." So I think it is different in the sense that, and then I think about some of the other things that happened during the pandemic. We can't ignore the racism. It's been recorded, facts. So yes, it it it's. While it's you know we want to see top down, we want to see leaders setting the example and setting the stage and creating the atmosphere. People are crying out for it mm. to because we can't ignore it. The facts are there. Technology has brought us to um, that point as well. Technology has been I want to say an ally in this because when I think about the graves, it was ground penetrating technology. We cannot hide anymore. We've recorded it, it's on our phone, it's on YouTube. So I think, yes, the public is now aware, but how, what actions we take, what are those actions going to be? How do we move people in a positive direction? So there's this, there's this angst there that people know that something needs to change, but we need to, again, help people to make positive change, steer, help steer that conversation and those actions.
2: You reference, you know, what's happened or happening in Germany, probably, probably still happening, I'm guessing, even all these years later. And when I hear the word reconciliation, like, you know, truth, truth makes sense to me, right? Truth is, um, you know, is part of the unmarked graves. It's part of understanding the residential school system. I'm sure there's more out there, more truth that needs to be uncovered, but yes. what the definition of truth is makes, makes sense to me. And I can comprehend that in this context that we're talking about an indigenous culture in Canada, the reconciliation part has, you know, leaves me unclear, right? I I haven't seen anything necessarily. I haven't seen anything tangible. Um, You know, the governments have uh, acknowledged days like today and uh, other events, but I I struggle with, you know, what it actually is and what it it could mean. And I'm wondering if you have... um, perspectives on what we need to do in terms of, I think you used the word reconciliation. somebody did a couple times. So what are these actions? Like, how do we, how do we get people mobilized in terms of reconciliation? And understanding it, I think a big part of it might, from my perspective, might be just understanding it before I can actually move forward with the actions.
0: I think that's really important. So, you know, what does reconciliation actually mean to you? And I think that that's a, you know, Orange Shirt Society has a fantastic website and that could be a a great place to start for a lot of people to just read the history of Orange Shirt Day, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and understanding what it actually means from an Indigenous lens. That might be a great place to start for some folks. Um, but, But ultimately, you know, Truth and Reconciliation, the website, it'll tell you several things. And one of the things is that Reconciliation really is about um, engaging in conversations like this and honouring the legacy of residential school um, experiences to bear witness in in a very humble way, to bear witness to the voices of survivors, to the voices of their family, to um, the ones that didn't come home, um, and to make a solid commitment to reconcile the tragedies of the past so through that truth and, and, and awareness, we don't make the same mistakes again. We don't go back down that path. Um, it means getting out there. So taking what we say, taking what we read, and actually creating action. So there's a great, if you're an online kind of person, you're a technology kind of person, there's all kinds of websites out there. Um, the Chenny Wenjak, uh, Gore Downey, Um, foundation website, fund uh, website, um, calls it, um, it's a legacy of uh, reconciliation. And it's a program for school systems. So reconciliation is things like getting into the public school and the high school systems, the university school systems, and teaching the truth to our children. So changing our textbooks, for starters, if we really think about it, old school textbooks, I don't know, but you, uh, and you, like in high school, we read all about, uh, you know, American history. Mm. Um, that's not the history of our country. So uh, changing, changing what the textbooks say, bringing that into our school systems, teaching our children when they're young the true history of our country. Um, again, Germany does the same thing. That's, that's mandatory in their school systems. Well, why can't that be part of our school systems, that we mandatorily teach this knowledge to our children? Um, and that is a great place to start from the groundswell. You mentioned the groundswell. Mm um if we're going to get if the grants while absolutely moving, uh, we have to start with our young our next generation, right so in um, indigenous teaching is um how do we teach the coming generations because they are the they are the generations that will um, rise up and and hold up the world after us, take care of the world after us so it's it's fundamental that we teach them um, things like. If if you know if you're not into maybe going to community events, start reading. There are some phenomenal books and literature and articles written by Indigenous people that are very truthful and honest and harsh and hard to read. Um, what else could we do? Attend websites or sorry attend uh, uh, attend. Um, um, As you mentioned earlier, Daryl, Orange Shirt Week. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of community events across the whole uh, province, and I would argue across the whole nation for sure. Um, In Durham region, go online, check out what events are happening, get to them. Um, I'm going to powwow this weekend up at Curve Lake. That's part of what I'm doing. Um, I read, Uh, talk to my family, talk to my friends. We're we're here, Mm. we're doing this podcast. This, This is reconciliation in action.
2: Do you find people come to you, like people that yep. may not be in your community that come yes. come to you with questions? What are some of the things that you hear from, from those people?
0: I think I want to come back to a point I said, I think, early in the beginning, which was um, my non-Indigenous friends and colleagues, for example, um, are very unsure about where to step. I don't know if I'm asking this question right. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Um, and I think that there's a genuine fear in some people that they truly want to come from a good, honest, genuine place, but there's a fear or a concern that they're going to up and then they're going to be called out for it. So I think reconciliation also was about um, creating a healthy space. That we, even though we might fear saying the wrong thing, Taking that misstep is all about education. And if I don't say something in a healthy way, but someone can say, hey, Michelle, that's really not a healthy way to say that, and educate me as to how to say it in a healthy way or in a good way or in a respectful way, then I'm learning in that, that live moment.
2: Hmm. Kind of like what happened earlier when we were deciding who would do the land acknowledgement, and I was uncomfortable doing it, and luckily Shauna stepped up. But there's a, you know, probably an example of uh, of where I I could have faced that challenge, um, but the fear of um, misstepping, you know, kind of won over in that moment. So um, just something that dawned on me while while you're talking. But it's an example of the things we do all the time, right? We um, maybe good intentioned because we don't want to hurt people's feelings, but um, and we're afraid of making of making ourselves. Um, you know, an object of attention for uh, something that we perceive as negative, whereas somebody might look at that and say, um, it might appreciate the effort more so mm-hmm. than the result. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of of Shauna uh, here at Ontario Shores, I know we're um, we're preparing, uh, you know, for Orange Shirt Week, and you know, as well as acknowledging September thirtieth. If you can talk a little bit about what we're going to do and what. Uh, Maybe the reconciliation right I already gave it away, but the reconciliation <laughs> piece that you have planned um, for our hospital.
1: So I think during um Orange Shirt Day is on the same day as the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So we're we're calling it on Orange Shirt Week and we have um we're encouraging the whole Ontario Shores community to engage in taking small steps towards reconciliation. So actually writing down the little steps that they're going to take and showcasing them, putting our name to it, putting our, our you know, our personal stamp on it. And we're going to display those and leave them up for, you know, people to really reflect on them. So really starting the journey um, by encouraging people to take steps towards reconciliation and, and, and being public about it and being purposeful about it and not being afraid. Um, so that's one thing. And then also making resources available, like you've talked about, you know, webinars, videos, uh, reading lists to encourage our, our community to learn more about Indigenous history and Indigenous teachings and Indigenous lived experiences. And um, one of the resources, you know, you were talking about resources, the, um, and how do we do this work? You know, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, uh, Commission, I'm sorry. Truth and Reconciliation Commission gives us a roadmap. Um, You know, there there was calls on governments and institutions and businesses as to what they can do to reconcile, reconcile with Indigenous communities. So that's a great place to start. So making, again, making all of those resources available to the Ontario Shores community.
0: And if I can add to that, actually, um, you bring up the calls to action, which is fantastic. Um, what a great resource. One of the challenges that I have um, had people uh, say to me is if you if you gr- get the 94 calls and you read them, they tend to present as government system, um, like school community, education community, hospital community oriented. And some people, I've had people come to me going, well, how does this apply to me? And then my challenge to them might be or my encouragement might to be, well, you know, pick an action or, or, or um, yeah, a, a call that might kind of fit your area. So let's say you're an educator. Um, how might you break down the education component so that it actually fits you? So, for example, if you don't know much about history, do your research and, and maybe find a great book. Um, 21 Things You Might Not Know About the Indian Act by um, uh, Bob Joseph is a phenomenal book that kind of starts introducing people to um, residential schools, the Indian Act itself, um, and, and at the back what those calls mean and how we can start breaking down um, uh, breaking down calls to action, breaking down the Indian Act, and having just a, a conversation around that. Um, you know, we're in health uh, care, mental health and, and physical health care. Well, how do we break that down? Well, How do we, again, start decolonizing? We start doing that in our own mind. So as opposed to seeing, say, the calls to action and saying, well, this is a giant, this doesn't really apply to me, well, it applies to every single one of us. How do you break that down and make baby steps and apply to yourself? I think that's important as well.
2: I think a lot of what we're talking about um, is building trust um, and taking those steps for everybody's part is to build trust and hopefully um, even something that maybe uh, one week of the year or one day of the year, um, it's a step towards you know all of us building trust and being educated. Uh, I want to thank you both for the conversation that um, I think we've used the word uncomfortable a series of times <laughs> in the last little while. And uh, it's not unlike when we talk about uh, human rights issues and other things uh, on Ontario shores, um, inclusion, diversity, we have we've had podcasts and events on all of those events. and and it does go back to that uh, uncomfortable piece because we're not used to having these conversations, right? We're used to staying in our lanes. And a lot of times we're, you know, as children, we were told like, mind your business, stay in your lane, don't go outside there, don't be too, you know, it's okay to be curious, but not too curious. And uh, I think that we're, we're changing that and recognizing uh, days like today and, and what you have planned Shawna, for the week uh, really helps move us in that direction. So thank you both for for being here and, being uncomfortable with us, all three of us together.
0: <laughs> and um, thanks for, I'm going to, on behalf of us, no, <laughs> no, uh, I don't want to sound inclus- uh, exclusive, um, but I really appreciate um, the honor of being here and being gifted by your voice and being gifted by Shauna's voice um, and just being a part of hopefully reconciliation Action, uh, uh, in movement. Mm-hmm. Um, by lending our voice to change and just having the courage to sit in what feels uncomfortable, I know my heart 's been racing a few times answering some of these <laughs> questions, uh, feeling very uncomfortable, feeling a bit of the you know the heat and the pressure, but um, we moved through it anyways, mm-hmm. and, and that 's what change is is feeling what we feel, but just recognize it 's an uncomfortable feeling it's the, the, the key is, is having the courage to, to just speak the truth um, and feeling. Uh, Safe to do so, and creating that environment where we're all moving through it in a a good way, moving forward in a a good way, in a respectful way, a courageous way. Awesome.